All right, I got a question for you. Who here has finished their Christmas shopping already? Anyone? I'm not doing any. All right, there you go. You're finished. (laughs) All right, a couple people. Who here hasn't even started? All right, all right, a few of you. All right. Yeah, it's always interesting to me. It, it like, speaks a lot. Like, Lara, my wife, she's already done with her Christmas shopping, and, like, I forgot that Christmas was happening this year. Um, That's not totally true. I love the holidays. I love Christmas. Um, I love the lights. I love... love, Here's the thing. Me Me and Laura have had so many disagreements about how to celebrate Christmas. And not, not, none of the big stuff, but it's like, should Christmas trees look classy or should they look like Buddy the Elf just threw up on the tree? And I'm that. I, like, I think Christmas is all about tackiness. It's time for tacky. Um, but I love the holidays. My favorite thing about the holidays is the anticipation. I love leading up to Christmas. I remember being a kid, and, and I didn't realize it at the time, but have you ever felt that, like, when Christmas comes around and the presents are opened, and you ate, and you sit, and you're like, oh, we're done. No more Christmas. It's the time for me. It's the timely, it's the traditions of wrapping the presents and going to see the lights. It's going to the zoo. It's, it's you know, all those things that I, I love it. It is such a fun time. And like Nate was saying, one of the things I love is Advent series at church. And, you know, we've never been accused of being like high church here. But for a couple things, we do follow the lectionary. We love uh, following the lectionary for Advent and for Lent. Like, those are two big things that we do, Christmas and Easter. And so Advent, like Nate was saying, simply means, like, coming. Or, or you know, really, it means anticipating. It's anticipating the coming Messiah. It was the waiting for Jesus to come. And so for us now, today, Advent is waiting for Christmas. It's waiting for the story of Christmas. And, and, and to start off our, our Advent series, we're doing kind of the traditional thing. Where we're, if you see the purple and pink candles, those are, those are Advent candles. And we do, uh, each week we're going to be looking at different themes of beholding the God who brings different aspects. And today we're going to be talking about hope, beholding the God who brings hope. Next week we'll be talking about peace and then joy, and then finally we'll wrap up with love. And to start off talking about hope, I want to tell you about a guy named James Stockdale. Does anyone know who James Stockdale is? James Stockdale was a business owner, um, very successful. He He ran for vice president at one point, um, I don't know much about his politics, so I, don't, I can't, you know, give him a thumbs up or a thumbs down. But at one point in his life, James Stockdale was in the Vietnam War, and he was captured by the, the, the Vietnamese. And he was put into a, a camp. And for seven and a half years, James Stockdale was a prisoner of war, and he was tortured with a group of other American soldiers. 
for year for seven and a half years. One of the coolest things about James Stockdale, in my opinion, is James Stockdale's middle name is Bond. So his name is literally James Bond. And it doesn't get cooler than that. But James Bond, Stockdale, is in, in this uh, was a, was tortured and in this camp for seven and a half years. And in his book, he said that what kept him alive was hope. He said that hope was the thing that kept him alive. He has this quote where he says, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event in my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. There was a hope that in the end, no matter what happens, in the end, it's going to be okay. I have hope that this event, no matter what happens, will be something that marks my life, that marks my life um, for better or for worse. And, And really, it's up to me to decide if it's for better or for worse. And so you might think James Stockdale, he's just this huge optimist, right? He just looks for the best in situations. But listen to this. In an interview, someone asked him about this hope, and they said, you know, who was it in, the, in these, these camps and the other people who were captured, who were the people who didn't make it? And he said this. He said, that's easy. He said, the optimist. Oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas, and Christmas would come, and Christmas would go, and then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter, and Easter would come, and Easter would go, and then Thanksgiving and then Christmas would be, or then Christmas, it would be Christmas again, and they died of a broken heart. See, I believe what Stockdale is getting at is that there is hope that we have that is a realistic hope. That the hope that we can have can't be based on just false hope that I am going to get what I want when I want it. And things are going to work out my way. And things are going to be perfect. No, it's not a false hope. It's a hope that's grounded in reality. And this is the hope that I think that the Bible promises us. And the Bible says that we need to have as a hope that's grounded in reality. That's not a false hope. It's not a hope that says God is going to make you rich and successful and you're never going to get sick, and you know, it's, you're going to be your best life now, it's going to be great. And let me just say, if you, were, if you were sold or shared that version of Christianity, that that's what God has for you, then like, I don't say this with any like, joy at all, but that's, it's not true. Jesus makes promises that we're going to have hardships, we're going to have trials, We're going to have difficulties in this world. But he does say that I've come to bring you hope. So so what is that hope? What is that hope that we have? Romans 15, chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Paul is saying that the, the Bible 
The stories in the Bible, what we read throughout Scripture is these stories of people being exiled, people being, you know, put into slavery, people being, uh, you know, captured by enemies, but that there is a God who is steadfast and a God who comes through and makes his promise. And I don't know about you, but when I look around this world today, I need some hope. You know, I look at Israel-Palestine, and I think, there is no hope. I look at, you know, what's going on and, and you know, with, with Russia, and I think there's no hope, or I think, look what's going on in, you know, North Korea, or, or I look in our own country and, you know, see young black men being shot by police officers at an alarming rate. I look at our schools and feel like it seems like about every couple weeks there's a school shooting. And it feels hopeless. And I need a little hope. Maybe for you, it's not even on the news. Maybe for you, it's like something in your home. There's something going on with your kids or your spouse or your family or a loved one is sick or you're sick or, or that you're in financial you know, need or you, you, your marriage is falling apart or, or, or you're facing just something really difficult and you just need a little bit of hope. Where do we find that hope? One thing I love about the Advent candle for hope, the first one, is it's known as the prophet's candle. Have you ever heard that? The first candle is the prophet's candle. And what that is referring to is the prophets of the Bible. The prophets of the Bible. If you remember a few months ago, we did a whole series on the minor prophets. And there's all these prophets that we can read about in the Bible, and we can read their, their teachings. And really, this is an oversimplification, but, but, you know, really there's two different things that the prophets talked about. One is the prophets would issue these warnings. The prophets would say, guys, we better knock it off or there's going to be problems. Or we need to start treating people better or, or there's going to be issues. Or we need to turn away from what we are doing and return to God. And so there's these, these kind of warnings that the prophets would go to. But there was another thing that the prophets would talk about. And they would, they would talk about things that we typically think of as prophecies, right? Where there's almost like predictive future messages. Like this is going to happen. And most of the prophecies that were about the future have to do with the Messiah. Most of them have to do with the Messiah. And the Messiah is probably a word that we've heard of a lot, but we might not even be familiar, like we might not even know, what does the Messiah even mean? And the Messiah literally means the chosen one, the anointed one. And it was the 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 Hebrew word that meant this is the chosen one. And, and the Greek word was Christ. 
So the word Christ and Messiah literally mean the same thing. And so most of the prophecies in the Bible are talking about this coming Messiah. And to understand these prophecies, we need to start at the beginning of the story. In the beginning of the story, God created this world. He created this world out of an abundance of love and creativity and just, just he's, it was amazing. And he was speaking the world into, into existence, speaking supernovas and, and, and you know, galaxies and, and all of these beautiful things and, and waterfalls and, and, and canyons and amazing things here on earth. And every time he would create something, he would say, this is really good. I like this. And then on the sixth day, he created something that he said, this is really good. This is the best thing I made. And it was you and I. When God created humanity, he said, this is it. This is my favorite thing that I've made. And he created us out of love. And he he created us... um, And before the foundations of the world, he loved us and was inviting us into relationship with us. And he just had things lined up for us and was walking with us in the coolness of the day in the garden, and it was good. And then one page flips over, and it's a disaster. It's what the Bible calls the fall. And the fall, essentially, just to simplify, it was really humanity saying, I want to go my own way. Thanks, God, but I've got it from here. I want to make my own choices. I don't know if you have what's best for me. And there was a a rebellion almost that, that humanity said, we've got it from here and we've turned our back on God. And God comes down into the garden and, and speaks to Adam and Eve and says, says to this, first of all, he says to the serpent, he says, I'm going to crush your head. I'm going to send someone who's going to make this right. And you may strike his heel. You may, you know, bite him on the heel, but he's going to crush your head. I'm going to make this right. He says, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to send someone who's going to make all of this better. Who's going to fix this. He's going to be the savior of the world. And so the people of God, the Israelites, their hope was centered around that idea of the chosen one who is coming to fix this. And so the hope that the Old Testament had, the hope that the people of God had was centered around the idea of the Messiah. The the Messiah was coming. And so people would talk about it. Oh, like, I can't wait until the Messiah comes and fixes. And then the prophets begin to prophesy about what this Messiah will look like. And, And in the Old Testament, we read that there are 350 prophecies that are just about the Messiah. 350 prophecies about the coming Messiah. And then we know that these were written hundreds, if not thousands of years before Jesus was born. And these prophecies said all kinds of things, like he was going to be born in Bethlehem and that he was going to, you know, uh, flee to Egypt and that he would come from the line of David and that one day he would be crucified and all kinds of things, that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, all kinds of very specific things. 
So many things. There was, a, there was a, a scholar by the name of Peter Stoner who took all of these prophecies and he narrowed it down to just like the eight foundational main prophecies. And he said that um, mathematically for someone to fulfill eight of those prophecies out of the 350, for someone to fill eight of them, the probability would be this, one in 100 uh, quadrillion. That's a big old number. That's like, there hasn't been 100 quadrillion people on our planet. And to fulfill all of the 350, he said that's mathematically impossible. Which what that means is that Jesus was impossible. The fact that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies, which he did, uh, that there is no doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. That gives me hope. That when, when people talk about there's like just blind hope, we, we have records of the Bible written before Jesus. And we know that these things were prophesied before Jesus. And then we can read that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. That gives me hope. And some of these other prophecies that we can read is that Jesus, the Messiah, the coming Messiah, would not only be the chosen one who would fix this, but he would be God incarnate. That not only would he be appointed by God, but he would actually be God and he would be the savior of the world and that he would sit on David's throne and he would sit on it forever. That his kingdom wouldn't have an end, that it would be everlasting, that he would take on the sins of the world. And I love this. It said that his kingdom is not just for one people group. It's not just for Israel. It's not just for, you know, America. It's not just for this race or this, you know, tongue or tribe or this type of people. That it is for all people. That all people are invited to be part of the kingdom of God. And this king will rule forever. And he is the savior. And he is good. And so we have this hope that we can look at in the past. It's this past hope that we know Jesus came. Jesus came and fulfilled these prophecies. And everyone, when we read the Bible, everyone who encountered Jesus knew there was something different about this guy. There's something different about him. He was special. And there's no doubt, I mean, historically, like historians do, ha- they have no question that Jesus existed. Like it is, it is like, you know, there's some people who say, we don't even know if he was real, but like any serious historian will be like, Jesus was real. We have enough record of him being on earth, like more than just about anyone that we just accept being real. And here's what I love. This was written by the great prophet Bono. Do you guys know Bono? I'm only half joking about calling him a prophet. He said this in the interview. He's talking about, you know, there was this question about, you know, the idea of Jesus being a good guy, Jesus being a great teacher or prophet, I can accept that, but him being the Messiah, isn't that a little far-fetched? And listen to what Bono says. He says, no, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy, had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But actually, 
Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off the hook. He goes on to say, you can go to the next one. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I am God incarnate. So what you're left with is this. Either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson here. I'm not joking here. And it goes on to say, the idea that the entire course of civilization for over half the globe would have its fate changed, turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. What Bono is saying is that Jesus went around claiming to be the Messiah. Jesus went around saying that he was God. That's why he was crucified. And they were saying, you, no one goes around saying they're God and they're a nice guy. Like you're either a crazy person or you're evil. And so the idea that we're left with, the choice that we have is Jesus is evil, Jesus is crazy, or Jesus is who he says he is. And so I believe Jesus was who he says he was. So we have this hope. One of the, the things that we can put our hope in is that the Messiah came. Jesus came. But here's the deal. We are living in a time after Jesus came. And we can look around and still see the mess. And does that leave us with like some dissonance, right? Like what is, I thought you were coming to fix this. If all our hope is in the fact that Jesus came and that he fixed everything and that we have all of the goodness available to us from Jesus, then uh, that can be very discouraging. I know churches that will teach things like, hey, Jesus came and he died. So everything that, you know, God promised, like health and wealth and, you know, good, you know, good promises, we have access to it now. And so I remember a, a, a friend of mine, uh, his mom was dying and they began going to a church where they said, hey, we have access to all the healing in the world. And that all we need to do is reach out and take it. And so they were like, cool, we have access. And then eventually the mom passed away. And they were left with this question of, well, why didn't God do anything? Was it, was it our fault? Is there something wrong with me? And these churches who will teach things like, you know, you can have prosperity now, I, listen, I, they're brothers and sisters. They are, but sometimes I feel like they're atheist factories because they make promises that the Bible doesn't make. They make these promises that says God is going to give you your wildest desire, and then when that desire doesn't come true, where do you do? Where do you go? When they say, oh, God is going to heal you, and then he doesn't. What do you do with that? Well, here's the deal. Not only do we have this past hope, but we have a future hope as well. We have a future hope. See, not only was there a promise that Jesus would come, but there's a promise that he's going to come again and finish what he started. 
what we believe is, is something called kingdom theology, that kingdom theology says that God sent Jesus, that Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom, to introduce the kingdom, to say the kingdom is here, but it's not fully here. It's coming in its fullness when I come back and restore everything. And so we, we have this time in between times where we have bits of the kingdom, right? We can see the evidence of God. We can experience him. We can, we can see healing, but not in its fullness until he returns. And I love this future hope that we have of when he returns. We can read about it in Revelation. I say this all the time, but this time I mean it. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. This is my favorite piece of scripture. I cry almost every time I read it because this is the promise. It says, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away and Jesus who is seating on the throne said I am making everything new our hope is not that one day God will take us all to heaven and give us harps our hope is that heaven and earth are going to collide and God will be on the throne forever here on earth. And all the hardship, all the consequences of our sins and our mistakes, all the pain and aches in our bodies and racism and homophobia and evil and bullying and all of the war and hatred and assaults and and passive aggressiveness and narcissists and all of these things will be gone and passed away and all will be made new and there will be no more evil in this world. And we can breathe and we can place our hope that one day all will be made new. We have a past hope that Jesus came and he died and rose again. And we have a future hope that he's coming again to fix it all. Jesus says, those hardships that you're facing, I see them and I'm going to make it right. He will make all things new. And you can find hope in the fact that Jesus came and fulfilled all those prophecies, right? And he lived that perfect life and died and rose and we are set free. But we can also find the hope that Jesus is coming again and he will make all things new. But let me say this as well. If we find our hope in the fact that Jesus is coming again, if that's our only hope, that one, at one point he will come again, sometimes that can feel discouraging as well, right? It's like, all right, well then I'll just buckle down and accept an awful life. There's churches that teach that too. Like life is awful, deal with it. You know, like one day it's going to be okay, but right now it's horrible. So suffering is what you can, you can like expect. 
And listen, there's actually a little bit of truth in that as well. There's truth in both of those, but they're, they're only half-truths, which I was always taught are full lies. If we find our hope in the past or if we find our hope in the future, both of those things can, get, uh, can feel discouraging. But I want to tell you that Jesus the Messiah didn't just come 2,000 years ago to fulfill a bunch of prophecies and peace out. And Jesus didn't just say, buckle down and deal with it until I come back. No, Jesus says that you have a present hope today. That your hope doesn't purely lie in the past and it purely doesn't lie in the future. He came because he loves you today and desires a relationship with you right now in this place, in your present circumstances. And Jesus is saying to you this morning that I came to earth. I put on flesh. I was born in a manger because I love you. And I wanted to pay a price that you could never pay so that we could be in relationship right now. And and again, not my favorite verse, but one of my top favorite verses is in John chapter 14. Listen to what Jesus says right before he leaves. He was on his way to leave and he says, I will not leave you as orphans. You don't just have to wait for me. You are not orphans. You are not alone. He says, I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He's saying that when I, when I you know, ascend into heaven, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm sending someone to you. And so we have a present hope that even in this world that's full of hardship, that's full of tears and pain, that we don't have to go through that hardship alone. Jesus says that you are not alone. I will always be with you. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. He promises those things. And if he fulfilled the promises in the past, he will fulfill these as well. He will never leave you, no matter what you're going through. I will not leave you as orphans. I will be with you. And here's the deal. I want to wrap up with this. For me personally, the reason that I believe in Jesus, the reason that I'm a follower of Jesus is not because, you know, you know, historically he fulfilled all the prophecies. And it's not because of like, you know, this blind faith that maybe he's going to come back. It's because I have met him. I have experienced him. I know him. And you may think I'm crazy and gosh, sometimes I am. But Jesus is real. The Holy Spirit is here. He is in this room and we can experience him. We can encounter the Holy Spirit today. We are not orphans. Some of you know that my mom is battling cancer. And we've recently got lots of bad news. And it just keeps getting worse. And I was talking to my mom last night, actually. I called her. I was telling her I'm preaching about hope. And I was like, how do you have hope, Mom? And we have so many people who have come to me really well-meaning or come to my mom and say, God's going to heal you. God's going to heal you. And gosh, maybe God will. I believe that God can do that. But we cannot 
put our hope in circumstances. Our hope is not in circumstances. Our hope is not even a perspective change. Our hope is not like, hey, we just, just try to ha- be optimistic. Try to think of the good things that God has done. Or try to remember that, you know, God is going to come again. Our hope is not a feeling or based on circumstances or based on a perspective. Our hope is a person. Our hope is Jesus Christ. And my mom has said her hope comes from the person of Jesus. Sometimes it's a supernatural hope where she says, when I get bad news from the doctor, I still have hope, and I don't know why. I shouldn't. And sometimes it is reminding herself like, oh, but Jesus is in control. He knows what he's doing. No matter what happens in my life, Jesus is in control. And I just, on my way to church, I was thinking about Philippians chapter 1, where Paul is talking about like this idea of life and death. And he was saying, like, you know, I want to live. It's nice to be alive. But if I die, cool, I get Jesus. And if I live, cool, I get Jesus. It's just to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and I think what Paul was saying is the hope that Paul has, the hope I see in my mom, the hope that the Bible promises us that we can have today because Jesus came is that you can take everything from me, but you cannot take away my Jesus. Like, like, you might take away my freedom. You might take away my money. You might take away my health. You might take away my family. You might take away whatever, but you will not take away my Jesus. And because of that, I can have hope. Why don't we stand?